Hey yo. Hi. All right, we're gonna try that again. Hey yo. Hey, hey I'm gonna expect a hey yo back every time. What's up, guys? Hey, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're not tired. Say it right now. Turn to the next person next to you on the other side. Say, you're not tired. It is Friday night. We are ready to stay up, have a blast together. I'm so super excited to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Tony Landini. And I am a youth pastor over from Long Beach, California, represent. Uh, and it is so sweet to be here with you guys tonight. I absolutely love, one, I love Hume Lake. Uh, Hume Lake has had a pivotal role in my own faith, my own life. Uh, specifically in California, there's the original location, founded in 1946. Uh, and it has played a huge role in my life in calling a ministry. But also, Hume, New England has just been a stellar place. Guys, if you have never been here before, you are in for an absolute treat. This is the real deal. Like, am I, am I right? It's the real deal. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Uh, well, hey, uh, I mean this when I say this. I, one of my favorite things about getting to speak at a camp is I love getting to know people like individually. And there's something really sweet about like, this is a big room with a lot of people, but also it's not that many people. So I love, it's like my challenge if I meet you to try to know your name. And so if we meet, quiz me on your name, make, like, make me feel bad when I forget, shame me so bad that I will remember next time, you know? And so I'm gonna try to uh, get to know you guys a bit. Uh, but before I get to know you, I want you guys to get to know me. And so a little bit about me. Uh, my wife and I, Natalie, have been married for almost the last seven years. There's a picture of us right here. Aww. Uh, we look good because we were at a wedding. Um, and uh, Natalie and I, we met in college. We've been married for the seven years, and she is incredible. Um, she would typically be here, but she's not here. Boo. Uh, <laughs> Natalie uh, had to be working, uh, but she works for a really awesome company that makes 3D printed rockets, like, which is just absurd. Like, that is a thing that's happening, and it just happens to be in Long Beach. We were living there already before she got the job, and it was like, God just led her there, and so she is the breadwinner, and that's okay. Um, and uh, we have this many children, zero children, uh, but we do have a dog named Pop-Tart. Meet Pop-Tart. <laughs> Uh, the funny thing is, is if we had a kid, you would have been louder for the dog. I know it. Like, this is Pop-Tart. Pop-Tart is a Chihuahua. That means Chihuahua Dachshund. And he is the joy of our lives. Uh, yeah, he's also seven years old. Uh, in the last year, he has lost five teeth. Um, we had to pull them. And if you're wondering if it was cheap, it is not. Uh, and then uh, another thing, this last week I got to celebrate my birthday. My birthday's actually in a few weeks, but I'm turning 30. Ooh, 30. Hey, actually, I'm excited about 30. 30's fun. I've heard it's, uh, you have more money and back pain. That's all I've heard. And so we'll see how it goes. Uh, my 30s, me and my friends got to go snowboarding up in a place called Mammoth. Um, and so that's what we got to do. Any snowboarders? Anybody? Okay, perfect. How many skiers? We'll pray for you. It's okay. We'll, we'll lay hands later. Uh, but absolutely loved getting to do that with my friends um, last weekend. And so I've been traveling a bit lately. Uh, and then, like I said, I'm a youth pastor in Long Beach. Here's a picture of our crew hucking me in the air. Uh, can they catch me? We'll never know. Uh, but this was at Hume Lake this last summer with our guys um, throwing me up in the air. I, I love youth ministry. Uh, the Lord uh, drew me to himself when I was in high school, and it was through the impact of uh, adult leaders who, who prayed for me, who met with me, who asked me questions, and who loved me. And so I, adult leaders in the room, I see you. 
Your work and your time this weekend does not go unnoticed. And real fast, hey, before we ever forget, students, can we put our hands together for the leaders who are here? Yeah. In passing, uh, some other hobbies that I have, some quick things. Love NBA basketball. I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves fan. The trade deadline yesterday was absurd. Uh, super fun. Uh, I also love fantasy football. I don't like fa football as much. I like fantasy football, and that's okay. Uh, and then I'll make this quick. I did competitive cheerleading in middle school. Don't need to talk about it. Uh, but then, uh, last but not least, uh, if, I mean, we're not going to play it, but I'm a huge fan of Mario Kart. And so... Uh, Waluigi is superior. That's all I got to say. Waluigi is, thank you. Yeah, right here. Uh, golf clap for Waluigi. Hey, well, I imagine in a room this size, there is uh, a spectrum of what people are feeling tonight. I, I, obviously, I don't know you. I don't know how you're walking into this room, but I imagine there's a spectrum of how excited or not excited you truly are to be here. Some of you were dragged here, and you said we were told it's going to be a lot of fun, and then you're surprised by somebody holding a Bible and coming up here, and you're like, where am I right now? And some of you, Hume has actually been a huge impact in your faith. Like, the Lord has used this place, and you're excited to see what he's going to be doing here. And some of you just are indifferent. You don't care. You just can't wait to go to bed. Like, I want to acknowledge that there's a lot of different feelings in this room, but can I encourage you with this? Our God, our God, not just my God, our God of the universe desires to meet you here. And not because this place is like extra special, but because this is a place where we get to step away and realize, oh my goodness, there's so much more going on in this world than what's in front of me on a daily basis. There's so much more going on in eternity beyond my phone, my friends, my school, my clubs, my sports. And God desires to meet with you here, you individually, specifically here. And we get to do that as we continue to look at his word throughout the weekend. And so this is something I'm going to hopefully say a few times if I don't like smack the back of my hand or something. Uh, but my, my challenge for you is that this weekend in your cabins, in discussions, you would be real with each other. And the way that I want to challenge you is would you say what you see? Say what you see. Say it how you see it. Don't give answers that people are expecting you to give just because they're expecting it. But like, let's actually lean in and consider what do we believe about this world that God has placed us in? And so with that, like I said, we're going to be looking at scripture every single time we come together. Um, and I do something special when we do this. Um, it's, it's nothing too crazy. Um, but when we open up the passage that we're going to be going through, I'm actually going to have us stand up to read it. And I do that for two reasons. Number one, because we stand up for things all the time out of reverence. Like, a lot of us stand up for the national anthem. You stand up when a judge enters the room. You stand up when a bride is coming down the aisle. And it's out of reverence. It's out of respect. And so for us, there's something that happens with like our brains and our hearts as we try to match with our bodies and by standing. And number two, some of you are already falling asleep, and so we're going to wake you up. And so with that, we are going to be standing. We're reading 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. So if you have a Bible, you can flip there. It's our main text this weekend. And this is either going to be a joyful announcement or a weird one. I'm reading out of the ESV. And so uh, that's where I'm at. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Every time when we open up the word, it's a good idea to actually pray. If God is one who actually speaks, sometimes it's hard for us to listen. So we need to ask him to help us to listen. So right now I'm going to talk with God. I'm going to pray. Would you join me in praying? Father, we, we, we take this moment and acknowledge your word and acknowledge you as superior to us. Lord, you are bigger. You are better. You are wiser. And Lord, our, our eyes are so often away from you. So in this moment, would you put our eyes on you? Would you put our hearts on you? Would you help us to hear what we need to hear and to leave this place knowing you more? And would you get all the credit? We love you, Father. Pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right, this whole weekend, this whole weekend, we're going to be asking the real questions. Like, we're going to be asking the, the big picture questions, such as, like, why am I here? Why am I breathing? We're going to be asking, like, where is purpose and meaning found? What is this life all about? These are things that we get to be asking this weekend as we peel away together and get to consider them. And the thing is, is I imagine every single one of you in this room desires the answers to those questions. I mean, I obviously don't, I don't know you personally, but I imagine at those times when you take out your headphones and you look away from your screens and you lay your head on the pillow at night and you just can't sleep, the things that come to mind are the things that are most important, not just to you, but of all of humanity. We have to ask the questions of what is this life all about? And often what ends up happening is sometimes we either get uh, maybe overwhelmed by those questions or we kind of stuff them down and we try to escape them. Or maybe we feel dissatisfied by answers we've heard before. We start looking anywhere and everywhere to find the answers. For some of you, maybe you've looked in academics and just getting good grades. That's like, this is what I was made for. Or maybe in sports. For some of you, you've looked into maybe just looking better than those around you, whether that's physically or emotionally or even just socially, like you just want to be more liked. And for some of you, you've tried finding it and just being different than the rest of the crowd. If you're different enough, then you stand out enough. And it feels like that's what you were made for, just to be different. And then for some of you, you feel like it's just a sense of belonging to something, right? To be a part of a group, to belong to a guy or to belong to a girl. Like that's gotta be where meaning and purpose are found. The problem with this, this train of thought, is that meaning and purpose is not established by you. Like it's, it's, you can't like make it in yourself. It's not found in you. It needs to be discovered. Like meaning and purpose is something that's already been established before you came on the face of this earth. Because meaning and purpose is always established by the creator. Whoever created something. When I first graduated from college, I got a Bible degree, and the goal was to go into youth ministry, but I didn't get a job. Like, I legitimately, like, there was nothing that lined up. And so I took the first job that I got call, a call back for. I started working for this furniture company, which it was a rental furniture company called Found Vintage Rentals. And the job was 
to deliver nice, like high quality furniture to parties, weddings, events, and then to bring it back. And so like we would do events uh, for like the bachelorette. Like we, we did a wedding for one of, one of the contestants or like big parties for like Nickelback, which it's like the weirdest, funniest things, but we would bring these deliveries and then we would take them back. And then of course you would imagine with that much furniture, you would store it in a warehouse. And so my shifts were typically either putting out furniture, taking back furniture, or working at a warehouse. And at the warehouse, which is where most of my shifts would take place, everything had to be organized. There was over 10,000 items, and so you had to know exactly where everything was. Otherwise, you would spend way too much time looking for it. And so as the company grew and as I was there with mostly college-age students, um, we would constantly be having like this, this change in how things were organized because there would be more and more items coming in as our boss would buy more things. And so typically there would be new ways to, that were, we were told to put things away. And there was this one time, I was about six months in, was told uh, we were gonna start reorganizing the, the rugs. We had over 100 rugs and the best way to store a rug is you, you roll it up and we would put it on a shelf. And at that point we were organizing it by size. So that's all it was. By size, you grab the right rug, hopefully you'd check it. If it wasn't the right one, put it back, go grab another one. And obviously this took a very long time. And so my boss decided we were gonna start to do it a different way. We were gonna organize it by name. Every rug had a name and so we created a tag and put it on the end of the rug. And so that when you would look at the rug, you could see the name and not have to open it up every time. I, I hope I'm not boring you. But this, this was a way that it was like reestablished and I was there for it. A week later, I'm working with this guy, Russell, uh, and Russell uh, and I were retrieving some rugs and we were putting some back. And I put one back, I put a, a tag on it, and he said, hey, Tony, you're doing it wrong. And you know when somebody like tries to correct you, the first thing you do is like, oh, I'm so sorry, yeah, let me, let me check. And I look up and I'm like, wait, this is not wrong. This is the way I was told to do it. Russell, actually, I don't know if you knew, but last week we learned there's a new way of doing things around here. The bosses said this is the way. And Russell looks at me, he's like, no, this is wrong. Now I'm a little offended. You know, like now he's like correcting me. It's like, well, Russell, this is the way it needs to be. This is what we were told is right. And his response was, it doesn't make any sense. I think it's a stupid way of doing it. And you see, at that point, I just told Russell, you need to go talk to our boss because we had a way that was supposed to be done whether or not we thought it was the right way. You see, the authorities in charge said, this is the way you need to organize rugs. And so you're gonna do it that way. So I said, Russell, go talk to the boss, figure it out. And really, I think this is like a helpful picture as we're talking about rugs and furniture and whatnot, that talking about that those in authority, like truly in authority are the ones who are in charge. And as we take that a step further, as we consider that, that God is the creator of everything, he is the one who has established what is right and wrong. He is the one who has established meaning and purpose because it gets traced back to him. We do this with everything. We believe that we can find something's intention if we trace it back to the person who made it, the person who created it. It always gets traced back to the one who established, the one who created the thing that we're looking at. There's a painting that most of you guys recognize. Does anyone know the name of this painting? It's called The Blueprint. Uh, what was it? The Scream. Do you know when it was painted? That's okay, that's a hard one. It, it was painted in the 1890s by a guy named Edvard Munch, Edvard. Um, and Edvard Munch made this painting, and most of us recognize it, uh, but this is a, a really, really famous painting 
Um, and it even inspired the, the movie, the Scream movies. That's like what the mask is based off of, off of the, the horror movies. Uh, but if I were to ask you, and for everyone to write down a piece of paper, what does this painting mean? Like, I bet you we would probably get five to, to 20 different answers. But really, the question would be, who is right? If, everybody, if we had five to 20 different answers, who would be right in that scenario? You would be right. That's right. No, that's wrong. You wouldn't be right. You know who is right? The person who painted it. He actually, Edward Munch journaled about this painting, and he explained that it was on a day in, in 1892. He was on a walk, and the sun was setting, and all of a sudden, the sky was turning pink and red, and as he looked up, he felt this huge sense of anxiety. He just felt an overcoming sense of anxiety, and he described that it felt like the wind had an infinite howl in that moment. And so in Edward's own words, this painting is literally depicting anxiety. That is the answer. We can have good guesses and maybe ones that you're like, that actually makes more sense to me. But in reality, Edward Bunch's interpretation is the correct one because he's the one who made it, traces back to him. It's in the same way of anything that's ever been made. We can, we can look at a music stand like this, and you might think, you know what? This thing maybe looks like a, a good weapon. <laughs> like it would probably hurt if you got smacked by it, right? Or maybe you would think like this is a good, uh, I don't know, table, like a good thing to eat food off of. And you know what? Those things would be partially accurate. But what was it designed to do? Hold music and my iPad. And so that's what it's doing. You trace it back to its original intention. Guys, let me just remind you or tell you for the first time, whatever it is, you were created by something. You were created by someone. And scripture seems to point out that you were created by God. This whole theme that we're talking about recrafted, we're looking at different craftsmanships, specifically of how things are built and specifically talking about the potter and the clay. In Isaiah 64, 8, it says, we are the clay and God, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. God is the one who is created. Therefore, meaning and purpose, right and wrong, all of those things have already been established by him. We are called to discover it. Now, as we talk about this, I am well aware that this is not how the world will often talk about God. Like, it's like, it's hard to know who God is because he's just too big, which is partially true. But we believe that God has actually done something to make himself clear. You see, there's this old poem also from the late 1800s that's uh, called, uh, what's it called? It's called The Blind Men and the Elephant. Anyone know this? The Blind Men and the Elephant? Nope. Okay, great. I'll tell you about it. So it's about these six blind Indian men, and they are off and they discover an elephant, and they're all trying to describe this elephant to each other because, of course, they can't see it. And so the first guy walks up, and he walks up to the side of the elephant, and he says, you know what? This elephant... Elephants are like a wall because, you know, they're like, they're standing up straight and it's really tall and it's sturdy. The next guy walks up and he, he grabs the elephant by the tusk and he says, you know what? Elephants are, are like a spear because it's really sharp and this is hard and it feels like it can puncture something. And each of them walk up over and over and start describing different parts of the elephant and saying, this is what an elephant is like. Are all of them right? Sure but they're not giving the full picture. And at the end of this poem, the guy who wrote it is saying, so it is like people trying to describe God, trying to depict who he is. 
We're all just kind of reaching in the darkness trying to figure it out. When we first hear that, we start to think, you know what, okay, that might have an ounce of truth because God is infinite, he's so big. But what if, what if God, what if the elephant in the metaphor actually made himself known? What if the blind men received sight and saw the elephant in full? We see the story of scripture is that God reveals himself to us. He makes himself known. We don't have to try to figure it out blindly, but he's made himself known clearly. We know this specifically in creation. When you look at something created, it points back to a creator. Like, I think that's just like basic thought. I think it takes more uh, absurd, illogical belief to like believe that it just appeared on its own. It takes a lot more faith to believe that things just were there. But it points back to a creator. And more than that, God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus. He has made himself known. Historically, I mean, historians, none of them will deny the existence of Jesus. You can't, you can't like shake your finger at the, the idea that Jesus existed. Every historian is going to agree with it. And every historian is going to affirm that he had a following that grew after his capital punishment, after he like died on the cross. Every single historian. So we, like everyone's going to agree to that point in and of itself. But I believe that God didn't just reveal himself in Jesus then. I actually believe he continues to reveal himself now. In the, the book of Acts, which is uh, the book following after the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, uh, you get the story of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, of expanding God's kingdom after Jesus has already left. And it's wild, the stories that you see of the church growing huge. But as it's growing it begins to receive like pushback. And not just like people being annoyed, but like people start killing Christians, arresting Christians because they disagree with what's going on. And specifically in Acts chapter eight and nine, we're introduced to this guy, Saul. And Saul's a young leader who we know at that time like was well-trained, he had a good family, he was a Roman citizen and he was pretty wealthy. And he is so against the Christian cause that he personally is pulling people out of their homes and arresting them and having them killed for their faith because he believed it was so wrong. But we find out that this guy, Saul, in chapter nine, the book of Acts, he is personally confronted by Jesus, stopped in his tracks. He's on his way to Jerusalem to get more letters to allow him to do what he wants to do. And God meets him there and immediately he stops what he's doing. And it's like this, this 180 moment that, that Saul experiences where he goes from killing Christians to immediately professing that Jesus is the way. Once again, historians are not going to deny the existence of this guy, Saul. Like they believe he's real. In this story that he went from doing something, persecuting Christians to, to actually becoming a Christian, that being true. And so I want to ask the question for you guys, if that actually happened, think of how convinced someone needs to be for that to happen. He was literally ending Christians' lives and then goes on to actually desire to receive the same persecution that he was once giving. Something changed drastically in him. You see, Saul would later go on to be known as Paul, and Paul wrote 
most of the New Testament, a lot of it, a lot of the letters in the New Testament. And this weekend, we're going to be looking at one of those letters, Ephesians, which is going to be going through verses 17 through 32, which to help you guys to have like a little Bible nugget, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the descriptive Like it's all about the things saying this is who you are if you're in Christ. And the next three chapters, chapters four through six are all about, so go and do this now. And so we're jumping in in chapter four and we're looking at what we're supposed to be doing in response to who we are. And that's where we're at. And tonight we're looking at just this one verse, specifically in verse 17, which says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Here, Paul is speaking on behalf of God and is saying there is a right way to live. There's a right way to live, which also implies that there is a wrong way to live, that that has been made, that there is a a left and a right. And I know immediately, many of us, when we hear that, we begin to think, oh gosh, this is when Tony starts talking about the things that are going to make me feel bad about the things that I do. But really, it's the most loving thing that we can do. If there's a right and wrong way of living, wouldn't you want to know the truth? Wouldn't you want to be walking in the right way if that truly exists? You see, God isn't like this guy, this picture. I mean, this is probably more so for the leaders uh, about uh, saying every time when we mess up, it's just like right to jail. Like anybody know this meme right here? It's coming. Uh, Right, nope, wrong one. Go back. Perfect. Right to jail. Does anybody know this? What's it from? Parks and Rec. Okay, a few of you. This is more for the adults. Great. Uh, But we have this vision, this idea of God of just like waiting to send us off to jail every time we mess up. Right to jail. Like you you mess up left, right. You're supposed to take a right turn. You took a left turn. Right to jail. Uh, And to have this picture... But really, the picture that I think is helpful is more the one we just saw, uh, where we can go to Toy Story. Um, How many of you have seen Toy Story real fast? Okay. Uh, Wow, you're you're proving me wrong. My wife said that you guys would have, and I didn't know, because it came out in 1995. I was two years old. Uh, You guys weren't even thought of yet. Um, And so uh, the, the story of Toy Story is about a bunch of toys that come to life when people aren't in the room. Ta-da, that's the story. Uh, And... Uh, as you can see, this is Woody, and what's written on his foot? And who is Andy? He's the boy who owns him. And so Woody knows who he belongs to because his owner, the the kid who plays with him, his name is written on his boot. And there's multiple times in the movie where you see Woody looks at the bottom of his boot to be reminded of who he belongs to. You see, when we were created, when you were created, Genesis 1 says you were made in the image of God. And what that means is that God's name has been written not on your boot, but on your soul. Do you know that you have a soul? You're not just a body. God's name has been written on your soul. He made you for you to be his own. And it is so beautiful when we actually live like that is true. You see, when we're, we're trying to consider what it means between right and wrong, God is inviting us to live like we were designed to live, to live like we know we were created in his image. He is in charge. But he's not just in charge, he's good. He's good. Now I know our, our definitions of good can run amok. I mean, if I, if I threw a football at, what's your name? Kyla. Kyla. If I threw a football at Kyla so hard it knocked her out, was that a good throw? <laughs> is it a good throw? Yeah. 
Wait, whoa, okay. See, this is what I'm pointing out. Is it impressive throw? Yes. Is it morally good? Is it the best thing I could do in that situation? Probably not. You'll be asleep on the floor and I'll get arrested because you're a minor and I am not. You see, we, we get so confused between what is good and what is not. It's hard to navigate in this world, but God has made it abundantly clear. What is good is what reflects him. You see, God is the bar. He is the ruler. Everything that is good is a reflection of who he already is. He is the one who has defined what is good. When we try to define it on our own terms, it's not going to work out. We're going to miss it, and we're prone to miss it. God has defined what is good. Now, I know some of you, you may have heard that as teenagers or 11, 12 to 18, 19 years old, that this, this stuff is just like over your head. It's like not important for, for teens to think about. Like I, the amount of times as a youth pastor is I have heard, yeah, they're just not thinking about that. They don't care about those things that are really significant. They don't care about deep things. And I just, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I think that every single one of you have big questions, whether or not you know it. And one of the reasons is because I was your age at some point. One of the most important pivotal conversations about existence happened when I was in seventh grade. I was in the back of a Nissan Quest, which is a minivan. Me and my friends, we went to uh, Six Flags. It was for my birthday. And my parents said, you know what? Like, we'll bring as many of your friends as you want. And so I think there's two types of parents. There's parents who say seven seatbelts, seven butts in seats. And then some parents say seven seatbelts, fit as many butts in the seats as you possibly want. That was my parents. They said as many people as possible. So me and my friend Shane, we're sitting in the trunk of a Nissan Quest facing each other, like because there's no room to sit like facing the back or the front. We're facing each other. We're on the way back from Six Flags Magic Mountain in the amusement park. And uh, everyone else fell asleep. We hit traffic. And so we're just sitting in traffic as my dad's the only one awake in the front seat. And me and Shane, of course, in seventh grade, we're just goofing off, talking about anything and everything. And it was there that I just like, the thought crossed my head and I'd thought about it before. And I was like, you know what, Shane? What if everyone else is a robot? Oh, you've thought it, right? What if everyone else is a robot? And Shane responded, he's like, yeah, that's a good thought, but wouldn't that mean I'm a robot? It's exactly what a robot would say, am I right? <laughs> he's like, well, I, I just don't, Shane responded saying, I just don't believe that that's true. I don't think that everyone else is a robot. Can I, can I tell you what I believe? And Shane said, you know, I believe that God created us and that he's made himself known through Jesus. And I responded in that moment saying, Wow, you're so right. Let me accept Jesus. No, that's not what happened. I said, that's cool. And that was the end of the conversation. That was a point when I was questioning things and I had a friend point me to truth. And ultimately it would take another four years before I would personally place my faith in Jesus. But I had a friend who was reflecting truth to me, telling me what he believed. I was wrestling in seventh grade about why I was sitting in the back of a Nissan Quest stuck on a freeway in traffic on, on the way home from a birthday party. I think you're thinking of these things. I think these are things that every single one of you are capable of talking about. And so would you actually lean in this weekend? Would you not just kind of coast through this weekend without actually considering what 
is true. Because if God is what he says he is, if he truly is he who he says he is, then man, we ought to live like he is real, like he is true. I want to flip back just real fast to the, the passage that we read when we started off in 2 Corinthians 5. This is the main text, and let me read it again for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In verse 17, it says, therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you gotta know what it's there for. And this therefore, if you read back the, the 16 verses beforehand, you will see that Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth who is experiencing persecution. They are losing their lives and their livelihood. And it's a bunch of young Christians and he's reminding them that, man, this is worth it. Which seems like counterintuitive. What do you mean it's worth it if they're losing so much? And Paul is telling them, This is worth it because of what God has done. You've been made a new creation for those who've been placed, who have placed their faith in Jesus because he is the real deal. You see, if if Jesus is not the real deal, then, I mean, this is all a sham, to be honest. If Jesus is not who he says he was, this is kind of a waste of time. But I truly, I truly believe that this is real, reality, and we're called to acknowledge it. That is our responsibility as people who've been made in the image of God, to have God's name written on our soul. To, it's our responsibility to know him because he's made himself known. It's to know that he is our creator, to know that he is holy, he is separate than his creation, and to know that he is good. And also to know that we are not those things, but that we get to discover him and to know him. So once again, lean in, ask questions, say what you see. Would you guys actually pursue truth this weekend? And would you enjoy it along the way? Can I pray for you? Father, we we take this moment and we ask that you would do a work in us that only you can do. Lord, it is so hard for us to navigate this world, yet you have given us yourself. You have made yourself known. So Father, my prayer is that every single soul in this room would desire to know you. And if they do know you, Lord, that they would desire to know you more because there is more to learn for the rest of eternity. We thank you, God, that you are our creator, you are our sustainer, you are our savior, and you are everything that we desire in this world. You are so much more. So Father, would you go before us, would you bless us, and would your name be glorified? Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.